Do you understand copyrights? Do you know the truth about publishing and licensing? In today's episode of the CMB Podcast, I speak with Susan Fontaine Godwin, CEO of Christian Copyright Solutions. If you're an artist, a songwriter, or both, you definitely need to hear this conversation. That's what's today on the CMB Podcast, session number 25. Welcome to the CMB Podcast, a podcast designed to serve people of faith who make music. If you're looking for practical and inspirational ideas to help you in your musical craft, then look no further. ChristianMusicBlog.com is all about helping you think differently about creativity through eyes of faith as you learn how to establish healthy musical habits and disciplines, fueling your creativity and making you more prolific for the glory of God. And now your host, Nate Fancher. Hey guys, welcome to the 25th session of the CMB Podcast. I'm Nate Fancher, the host of this conversation about music making through eyes of faith. I believe this conversation, this podcast, all that CMB exists for is to serve musicians of all kinds, artists, bands, singers, worship leaders, songwriters, guitar players, drummers, and so on. You name it. If you're a believer in Jesus and you are musical, then I invite you to join this conversation. Dive in with us as we learn all about music making through eyes of faith and all that that is tied to that. So if you're new with us and this is your first time listening to this podcast, I invite you to stick with me all the way to the end of this episode and uh, you'll hear about a gift that I only give and I only mention to people who listen to this podcast. Pretty excited about that. So stick with me to the end and you'll find out all about that. I'm pretty stoked to share with you this interview today with Susan Fontaine Godwin. It's it's pretty cool. It's, it's a highly practical episode, one that every artist and every songwriter needs to um, face at some point. Um, you can't just ignore these things, things about copyright, things about publishing and licensing. Um, and what she does with Christian Copyright Solutions is awesome um, over there. And uh, we're going to go into all of that. We talk about her story in the Christian music business, how she got started. We talk about what copyright is, what that actually is, what publishing is, licensing. We talk about their service, Indie Admin. And and uh, for, for those of you who are not signed to a label, for those of you who are all, all doing this by yourself, this is a service that's going to greatly greatly help you. But before I get into that, I, I want to actually bring up something. I'm going to go here. I'm, I'm on my computer looking at christianmusicblog.com so I don't say this wrong. <laughs> Over at the blog earlier this week, um, well, actually two weeks ago, uh, we had our very first post by a guest contributor. Um, I'm very excited about having him more involved. His name is Nick Morrow, and um, he, he did this post called Easy Breezy Beautiful Cover Songs or How to Embrace the Art of the Cover. Um, very, very awesome post by him. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of guys like myself fall into the category of the first line of that blog post, which says, cover bands catch a lot of crap from songwriters and artists. I, I must confess, I am a guy who's made fun of cover bands and uh, people doing cover songs. And I, and I, over the years, have changed. And um, his post actually really ties it all together very well, uh, exactly what I've gone through and my thinking on the on the, the whole conversation of covers and doing covers. So I, I encourage you to go over there and check that out. That is christianmusicblog.com forward slash 
do cover songs well. Um, that's not the name of the post, but I put that in the in the URL, and I'll have a link to that from today's show notes, which can be found by going to christianmusicblog.com forward slash session 25. And and here's why I bring that post up. Obviously, it's a great post on its own, but today's interview with Susan um, is really tied to that. Part of the um, conversation um, gets into YouTube, and uh, for those of you who are artists and you're not utilizing YouTube, I, I think that you're making a big mistake. You need to at least start learning a little bit about it, and if you're not into video stuff at all, uh, maybe get someone who is, who can do that for you. But um, C, uh, CCS, Christian Copyright Solutions, have a great service, I, I mentioned that a minute ago, called Indie Admin, and um, it goes into things like video licensing and getting covers taken care of and all of that. So you can do that on YouTube. Um, but it's a pretty big, big conversation, kind of complex, and uh, that's why we we had Susan come on the podcast. So let's get started. I want to get right to that conversation with Susan Fontaine Godwin on the 25th session of the CMB podcast. Well, I'm here with Susan Fontaine Godwin. She is the CEO of Christian Copyright Solutions, which is a great company that serves Christian songwriters, artists, and all of those involved with the somewhat complicated world of copyright and publishing and all the CCLI things that worship leaders deal with. Susan, thank you for being on the podcast today. You are welcome. It's a joy to be here with you, Nate, and very happy to spend a little time talking about copyrights. Yeah, I, I actually am really personally very excited about this, and I know a lot of other songwriters will, will find this to be a very practical and interesting topic. Um, it can be a little bit daunting for some folks, but before we get into all of that, why don't we just have you share with us maybe your story, a little bit of your history, and maybe how you found yourself in the Christian music business world. Sure. Thank you for that question. It's uh, been an interesting journey since 1984, actually. Uh, I moved out from California to Mobile, Alabama in October of 84 to go to work for Integrity Communications. That's before the music uh the worship music was birthed at that company, which really happened around 1985. And my background was not in copyrights or publishing. My background was actually in journalism. And I had come out to go to work for this Integrity Communications as the pup, the uh, print and production director. And suddenly everything changed when Hosanna Music exploded on the scene. And the president of Integrity uh, asked me to start up the publishing music administration department. And I said, I don't know anything about copyrights. <laughs> and he said, well, I've prayed about it, and I feel like you're the right person to get that started. So that's how I got into it and really learned by the seat of my pants and by you know, a lot of help from many people in the industry who were very gracious um, and uh, would explain to me, you know, what, seemed like a very complicated question to me at the time, and which, of course, was pretty simple to them, uh, but really a wonderful a number of folks in the Christian music industry at that time who helped a great deal, and I started reading a lot of books, and next thing I knew, I was on the phone with a lot of people calling in from churches who wanted to use our songs and wanted to do the right thing, but they really didn't have a clue where to begin. And so I think early on in the 80s, I've developed a real 
heart and concern for people in ministry, for pastors, worship leaders, and administrative assistants who were trying to do the right thing, but it was such a nightmare uh, to try to get to the right copyright owner and get the proper licensing in place. Uh, that's that's how I got into all of this, actually. I, I left Integrity in 1996 and started um, my own company called Righteous Oaks Music, which is our parent company. And then in, in 2000, after spending some time with Rick Muchow at Saddleback Church, trying to help them sort through a lot of their copyright questions and issues, um, we launched what today is Christian Copyright Solutions, which is an online licensing solution uh, service in 2001. And that really came out of our direct relationship with with Saddleback Church, and they had a lot of questions because they knew they were doing a number of things outside the scope of the CCLI license that required licensing, and they needed help. And that was really the genesis for our company, how we got started. That's awesome. Now, where would CCLI have been in that time frame? I mean, I'm not really familiar with the whole history there. Were you working a lot with them as they were getting started as well, or how did that happen? Well, interestingly enough, actually, when I was at Integrity uh, in the early 80s and mid-80s, Integrity had seen this need to help churches, and we put together what we called this total catalog license, which is very similar to the basic rights that are in the CCLI license and um, for things that churches were doing in congregational singing in the use of songs. And and we had our catalog, we had a flat fee, annual fee, that really helped meet the need of what churches were trying to do at that time. And we thought about expanding that. And uh, uh, then the uh, president of Integrity uh, knew the guys at... Uh, what at the time was not yet CCLI, but Howard Roshinsky and some of the others. And they came out to Mobile, and we heard about their vision and plan and really decided that it would be better for a third-party, independent party, to have that type of license. So we we really supported their vision and their efforts and, and came alongside of them to really promote that because we saw it as a tremendous need and a really great solution for churches and for song publishers. Uh, So that was probably in 86, maybe, I think. Um, When I launched our company, uh, it was really in direct relationship to the fact that a lot of churches had CCLI's basic license, but were doing a lot more things than they were in the 80s that required individual licensing. If it was synchronizing a song or a sound recording to a video, um, making their own songbook, making their own CD recordings. Uh, And then, actually, they wanted to start streaming their music on their websites. And so, you know, we became very involved with our church clients in identifying what they were trying to do and trying to come up with a solution for them to be licensed to, you know, legally do the kinds of things they wanted to do. So for us, kind of part of our heart is we want to help you be creative and compliant by either directing you to an existing licensing solution or seeing if we can't help develop one or go individually to each license, um, each copyright owner to get the proper license. Okay, yeah, so it it would have been, going back to the integrity thing, trying to do the CCLI thing, that would have been comparable to maybe... Uh, a record label trying like like time like Warner Brothers or somebody trying to become ASCAP at the same time, which is is that a a bad way to say it or is that right? I mean, isn't it a performing? You know, that, that's not 
not a yeah, that's not a bad analogy, honestly. I mean, I think um, you know, or to, if when one publisher or one large music company is trying to uh, create a collaborative or uh, uh, bring together other music companies to create a licensing solution. There's a lot of resistance to that just because I think there's a good bit of question about control. You know, who's going to control that? And so I, I think that's a proper analogy um, that you have independent agencies such as the PROs, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, or the Harry Fox Agency, perhaps, that, you know, represent the rights of almost all publishers for a specific type of right, like performance. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a, probably a pretty good analogy. And just to be just to be clear for the listeners, uh, she said PRO, which really is Performing Rights Organization. Is that is that right, Susan? Yes. Right? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I apologize. <laughs> no, no problem. You know, you can whatever field you're in, you have these acronyms that are totally foreign language to anybody else. But yes, the performance rights organizations in the United States, which are ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC. Right. Um, and CCLI would be basically the same thing, but for churches who aren't doing, obviously, a lot of the top 40 songs on a Sunday morning. Well, it, it, it's similar in the sense that they represent a specific group of publishers, music publishers, for uh, not performance rights, but for very specific reproduction rights or duplication rights that are, you know, focused on the church's service, the congregational singing aspect of their service for some very specific activities. And I think I think they represent somewhere between 200,000 and 300,000 songs that are Christian song catalogs, whereby the ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC represent about 17 million songs, and they represent all the Christian songs as well as holiday songs, patriotic songs, all genre of music. Yeah. This is really helpful for me as well because I sometimes just sort of make assumptions. But why don't we talk a little bit about CCS? Now, you said you guys started in 2001, so you've been going for more than 10 years now. And um, now you're quite a bit different than CCLI. Why don't you just go into what the distinctions are just for people's, um, if, if they're unfamiliar with what C CCS is? Sure. Thank you. Um, well, the difference really is is kind of twofold. Uh, the first is that, as I mentioned, when CCLI's license was first established in the 80s, they identified most of the types of activities that churches were doing then, but churches have become much more creative and innovative and are doing a lot more in the use of copyrighted material. And so we wanted to act as the online administrator of copyright license procurement on behalf of church and ministry clients. And so we developed an online database, which is called Copyright Solver, that is designed to do that. So it's a web-based um, application that our clients can access as well as our staff can access uh, under our Permissions Plus service, whereby instead of the church administrator or assistant running around trying to find all the various copyright owners for material and then trying to get a hold of them to get licensing and pay, you know, calculate royalties and pay it. We handle all of that from start to finish online through digital documentation and, and uh, so on. So that, that was the thing that really set us apart. So we, 
we would tell folks, yes, you need the CCLI license. It's a great blanket license. It's a really good place to start. But be you know be sure you understand what it covers and what it doesn't cover. And for those things that are not covered, we can go and get those licenses for you. And uh, you know because our database is designed, we're depending on the license type. We know exactly who to go to to get that license and request it. And we have a royalty payment process. Um, where we pay the royalties on behalf, and then the end result is you have a finalized license that's uploaded to your account and digitally stored and kept in your account. So that that's the big differentiator. Um, since that time, as as we have partnered with our church clients and we've identified what they need, and, and um, you know, partners have come to us and said, we really want to stream our music included in our worship service online, but we know we need some kind of license, and uh, we probably need to go to ASCAP BMI and get those licenses, but it's we're having a really hard time doing that. Can you help us? Um, you know, back in, I think, 2006, 2007, we were starting to get a lot of requests for that. So as a result, we, th- we, we tried to get those licenses for them, and it was hard for us. And we thought, boy, if, if it's that hard for us to go to all three of these organizations and get this, really going to be tough for churches. So we started talking to the PROs, ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC, and we were able to negotiate a one-stop blanket license that allows us to take their licenses and their songs and license churches for a streaming license. So the Worship Cast license came out of that dialogue with our church partners and developing a partnership with ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC. So that license allows our clients, whether it's a church or a ministry or a nonprofit organization, to stream, legally stream their performances of close to 17 million songs. And whether it's Christian or a holiday song or a secular song, that's going to be covered. Um, In addition, the next step was that a lot of churches uh, did not realize that you know, if they were playing or performing music in their church facilities outside of their religious service, outside of the worship service, and there's a lot of places where churches do that, that they also need what is called a premise license from ASCAP, BMI, and CSEC, or a general license. And um, that is our second blanket license that we developed, which is called Perform Music. And once again, it's the same model that ASCAP, BMI, CSEC have authorized us to license churches for all of their songs under a one-stop license with an annual blanket license fee. And so that will cover churches playing and or performing music, you know, at social events and barbecues, youth events, children's programs, kids' programs, wedding receptions, fundraisers, camps, VBS, aerobics and dance classes, music on hold, and and pretty much gives churches a lot of freedom to play and perform music wherever they want in their facilities. You may have this question, so I don't want to jump too far ahead, but our newest service, I I can just explain also that our newest service that we launched last year is called Indie Admin. And this, once again, it's, you know, came out of dialogue, conversation, and requests from our existing clients. And that was on the flip side of the coin, to represent songwriters and publishers and churches and record labels who own content or own copyrights, who need help with all the details that go into protecting and licensing their songs and registering their songs. And so we we launched that um, last year and and, uh, 
and that's an online service as well in the admin. So a lot of all of our services and products really come out of that kind of a real partnership and hearing what our clients need and what they're doing and how we can help. That's exciting. Yeah, the the indie admin particularly, I would love to to get into some of that for sure. Because um, you know we have mm-hmm. most of our listeners are going to be artists themselves, songwriters, and um, a lot of indie folks who are even just getting started out who who may be really mm-hmm. just overwhelmed when they think about what it means to to protect their song, to publish their song, all that kind of stuff. You know, right. I, think, I think there's a lot of um, misnomers out there, too, with regard to what a publishing company really is, to, to mm-hmm. what it means when a song gets copyrighted, you know, the, the old um, mail the song to yourself trick. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. If, you know, um, but maybe we can talk about some of that um, and then get into maybe some of the, the services, too, with, with that CCS offers. Um, so maybe, like, uh, an artist who's brand new, who's who's got a number of songs, maybe you know, a handful of great songs that they believe in. How would they? How should they pr- proceed with starting something with their publishing to protect their songs? Um, should they go pursue a publishing company entirely, you know, distinct from them, or should they do something themselves? What would be some steps for them? That's a great question. I think the, um, I think as a songwriter, uh, there are. You know, getting started has a number of songs that are being picked up, played in churches, or used by other people. There's a, there's some really good basic things you can get started with, um, and that really has to do with being wise in the best ways to protect that song or those songs. Uh, kind of building a foundation for your songwriting, um, the vocation that you are in. You know, being really thinking in terms of it as a business. And it may be also a ministry, but, you know, approaching it as a business and, and building a solid foundation for that. Um, I wouldn't really recommend waiting until you might be picked up by a publisher. Um, and I, I, there's a number of reasons. Um, number one, I think that songwriters um, really are the stewards of the gifts like all of us, we're the steward of the gifts God's giving us. And if you're songwriting, you need to learn how to be a good steward of that and understanding some of the basics, um, whether you ever have a publishing deal with a music company or not, I think that you know that's part of stewardship. And it doesn't mean that you have to get in and do all of the detailed work yourself because I know there's a real balance for creative people, and I've worked with creative people now for gosh, I don't know, 27, 28 years. Um, You know, for a lot of creative people, if you end up doing too much detailed, linear types of work, it drains your creativity. And so I can understand a lot of times why, you know, a songwriter or an artist doesn't want to give yourself too much time to be in, in the midst of down in the weeds taking care of all these details. But I think it's good to have a basic understanding of some of the principles of you know how to protect your works um, and um, how to get help when you need it, you know that kind of thing. So there are some good basic steps. You know, number one, certainly if your songs are being sung in the church, to you know become affiliated with CCLI as a publisher 
And I will say, you know, if you're a songwriter, you are also the publisher until such time as you assign or convey the publishing rights to a publisher or to a music right. company. Yeah, I think so a lot of people, both, you know, yeah, a lot of people get confused about that, don't they? They 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 just don't understand that. Or I was I'm putting myself in that category for a long time. I didn't get that. Yeah, I mean that's that's exact. It's a little hard to understand, really. But but in essence, and this is where I wish I had a chalkboard and I could draw it out for you. But in <laughs> essence, when when you write a song, if you if you're the only writer, let's talk about that scenario first. If you're the only writer and you've written music and lyrics, and you have a composition, you own 100% of that song, and in essence, you are the songwriter and the publisher of that song. Right. Now, if you've, if you've gotten into a co-writing situation, let's make it really simple, and you have one other writer, and together you wrote a song, and at the time you write it, the, the writers agree that they are going to have a 50-50 split or ownership of that song. We're going to keep it real simple. Um, which, by the way, those songwriters, when they write together and they write a song, they should have a very simple letter of agreement, very simple, one paragraph, stating that they agree that they wrote this song and writer one has 50% and writer two owns 50% and just sign it. That's good. Um, yeah. So highly recommend that because it will save a lot of heartache down the road, potential heartache down the road. Now, when that happens, let's say writer one has not have any agreement with a publisher, so they own 100% of their 50%. They are the writer and the publisher. Writer two has an existing um, exclusive songwriter-publisher agreement with XYZ Publisher. Then immediately that song um, is owned by that publisher and of that 50%, they split that 50% 50-50 in most cases. Um, and so it, it originates with the songwriter. And so some writers, and there aren't many today, but some writers have an exclusive songwriter-publisher agreement with a company whereby every time they write a song, it automatically becomes uh, part of the catalog that that publisher owns. And then the writer, um, you know, all the work, all the administration work is taken care of by the publisher, or it should be, but the writer, um, in most cases, would lose ownership, but they would always be guaranteed uh, that they would receive 50% of all royalty receipts that come in on that song as the writer. Now, that's kind of your basic, and I'm really getting into a lot of detail that's kind of hard to explain. If I had a drawing board, you could see the visual, it might help. But but that's kind of the basic um, model. There's all kinds of other ways of doing it, you know, and all kinds of ways of splitting it with a company. But until such time as you were, reach some kind of agreement with a music or publishing company, whereby they gain some some percentage of ownership of your song. You own 100% of the song you've written and you are considered the writer and the publisher. So what that means is that as that writer, one of the ways to protect your songs is to become affiliated with a performance rights organization, whether it's ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC, become affiliated as a songwriter and as a publisher. And that means you come up with a song catalog name that has to be approved by that particular PRO. 
And, you know, that takes some time to work through all of that. Um, you, in most cases, you're going to have to have a song that's been recorded or in some published form to show the PRO. Um, but what that does is that that song shows up in television, radio, or general licensing, or streaming, digital streaming, and you've registered it with the PRO, then you have the chance of getting some performance royalties from that. Plus, it establishes your publishing catalog name uh, and, and establishes you as a publisher. Then, once again, if you are writing songs that are being sung in churches, then you would want to affiliate with CCLI as a publisher because they do not have agreements with songwriters. They have agreements with the owners of the songs or the publisher. Affiliate with CCLI and then begin to register your songs with them. So once again, if you know somebody in a church in Texas is singing your song and they report it, they can identify it. And that's one way of protecting it, but also potential revenue could come in to you. Right. The the third way of protecting your song is to register it with the U.S. Copyright Office. And that is not required to have a valid copyright. It used to be actually required a number of years ago. It's no longer required. So as soon as you write a song that is fixed in a tangible medium of expression, which would be something like you record it on an MP3 file, you write it out with sheet music, um, you know, it doesn't have to be real sophisticated, uh, then you have a copyrighted work. Registering it with the U.S. Copyright Office just gives you greater protection mm-hmm. of and, that copyrighted work. And that's the you, the Library of Congress, is that right? Is that where all that's handled? That's Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I did that with some of my songs early on and haven't done it with a handful since then. And it does make make me wonder, you know, like in today's world, you know, to do an MP3 and to write it down on a piece of paper and to do that, as you mentioned, uh, in the event that something were to happen and you're and you're in some sort of litigation thing, how 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 does it hold up compared to the U.S. Copyright Office thing? You know, if you end up in litigation, you you have it registered with the Copyright Office. You, you know, the the damp the uh, infringement fees are higher as to what you can uh, get in a settlement, and plus, what attorney fees would would be covered if the ruling was in your favor. Um, so, you know, the, it, it impacts the, the, the kind of fees or fines that you can uh, procure. And, of course, it just gives greater substantiation to your claim. I mean, it is certainly possible that somebody said, well, I wrote that song and it was within, you know, a few months of when you wrote it. And, and so the determining factor could certainly be based on registration date if it was with the U.S. Copyright Office. Right, right. Always interesting. I mean, it's quite unlikely that that will ever happen. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, in the event that it does, yeah. it's, it's good to to be be safe. So, um, right. keep going. I'm sorry I interrupt, I interrupted you, but what other steps would there oh, be? Oh, no, that's okay. So that, those are kind of some of the basic foundational things uh, of getting started and that that help you protect your works, but also kind of establish you as a publisher. Um, I will say that we have on our site, we have a free fact sheet 
that I'd highly recommend as oh, songwriters cool. who are kind of just getting started. And um, that is called Basic Steps to Publishing. And you can find that on our website on the on the homepage. There's, there's a tab that says, or on the nav bar, it says uh, Learning Center. And under Learning Center, we have a number of free downloadable fact sheets. Um, and we've this this came out of just trying to answer these questions for songwriters who are kind of just getting started and wanting to know, well, if I'm going to get into publishing, where do I start? And so it kind of outlined some of what we were talking about ownership and the fact that you know you own 100% until such time as you enter into an agreement with a music publisher assigning a percentage of your song. Um, so it sort of lays out that. And it, it talks about, well, where do you, where's a good place to get started? And... Um, and goes into a lot more detail along the lines of what I've just said, really. Um, and then in addition to that, we do have a service uh, called the Publisher Setup Service, where we manage all of those details for you with the, with the U.S. Copyright Office, with CCLI, with the Performance Rights Organization, getting you affiliated and set up with um, one of the one of the PROs. And so because we just in the course of talking to writers and folks getting started, that seemed to be something people really just didn't even know where to get started. Yeah, I mean, I I was doing the CCLI thing at one point. I had to set it all up and went through the process of establishing that publishing name and that catalog name and all that. And it's it's pretty tedious stuff. So I was going to ask, you know, how how artists can just hand that over to you. And so you have that service. That's great. Yeah, and so we have that fact sheet, but also you can call our 800 number and talk to one of our copyright solvers about any and all of those details. Um, we also, under Indie Admin, um, you know, we have several plans that kind of get you started, and the basic plan is, is quite inexpensive. Uh, it doesn't get you set up, but it gets one album registered with the Copyright Office as well as we take care of licensing your songs if any requests come in for your songs. We get them all loaded into our database, and, and um, you know, we do that for $120 a year. The publisher setup fee is on top of that, you know, if you, if you have not gotten set up yet, and we take care of that for you. But there's some different plans that are designed to meet the needs of someone just getting started versus somebody who's beginning to get some activity on their songs, and maybe they have a little more going on all the way up to Premier, which are some of your churches, uh, folks that we help out like Bethel Music and, and Don Moen Music and Brooklyn Tabernacle and um, North Point and some folks who have a good bit of activity happening. Um, so we've tried to design some different plans depending on where you are in the curve as far as, you know, are you just getting started or you've, you know, you have some albums out there, you have some activity and, um just try to customize it for depending on where you are in your vocation. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's it's really laid out well. It's really easy to navigate through through the website. I'm I'm really impressed with it and it's it's really cool. One question I have about in particular this indie admin thing. Mm-hmm. Is is this the same thing as you know, in in Nashville, I know there are a lot of different companies who do publishing administration. So, like mm-hmm. if I had a publishing company that I started but didn't want to administrate anything, I could basically hand that over to CCS. And you guys are essentially, at that point, the administrator of my publishing. Is that 
essentially yes, what, that's, what yeah yeah that's that's correct um it's just a bit of a different model or paradigm, but in essence, it is definitely a copyright administration service. It's great. And, and, and so... Well, with yeah. that, it says here um, you get 100% of your royalties every month, which that's pretty different compared to a lot of these other companies. Yes. Um, you know, I, having been in the copyright administration for a number of years, I was really looking at a different model. And part of it was... Um, you know, especially in today's landscape, you know, I don't see any reason why, and I, and I, you know, I might, I'm sure I'd have some disagreements from some different administrators, but I don't see any reason why an administrator should hold on to uh, publishers or writers' money for 90 days plus 45 days, which in which in essence is what happens with your typical administration model. You know, as money comes in during a quarter, like let's say the first quarter of 2013, monies come in, we receive those in that quarter, and then um, and then we don't have to pay those out in, for 45 days after the end of that quarter. Um, now, you know, I say 90 days plus 45. That's only if some money came in in January. It could, in essence, be... Um, as long as 135 days before you get that money. So we've, we want it to be that every month we pay you whatever we've received. Um, and the other part that's different is we, in almost every situation, there's one exception at this point, but in almost every situation, any monies we receive, we pay 100% of that money directly to the copyright owner. We don't take a percentage off the top. We get we get paid for what we do, you know. Um, so that's why you have an annual plan of um, under the advance plan of three hundred sixty dollars, and we're very specific as to what we do for you, and we charge you for what we do for you. Um, and rather than taking a percentage off the top, now. You know, the thing with a percentage model, which has some advantages for both parties, really, is that, uh, you know, sometimes an administrator won't take on a publisher or writer unless they're, they have a history of X amount of revenue per year because they can't do all that work if they're getting 15% of $100, you know. So there are some, there's, there's either some minimums, some quarterly minimums that are charged if you don't make enough, you know, revenue during that quarter to cover the work that's being done, which is, of course, very reasonable. You should, that it has to be done that way. Um, so part of it is that this model, I think, allows folks who are not generating $10,000, $20,000 a year in revenue to still have an administrator and, just, and, and pay for what they, the work that's done. Uh, because really, in, in, you know, I mean, having been an, an administrator in the other model, I would lose money on on certain writers and publishers who weren't generating enough revenue. Because if I'm just getting 10 or 15 percent of that, and it's not enough revenue, you know, so there's a reason it's set up that way. But it really does kind of leave out people who are not making enough revenue that a, an administrator is going to be willing to take them on. Let, let me ask you this question, Susan. Um, 
as an artist and songwriter myself, I've um, done the CCLI thing. You know, it's been a while since I've checked in with ASCAP, but I think I'm still a songwriter over there. Um, mm-hmm. If Can a guy like me, who's done some of these things already, hand everything over to you? Yes, absolutely. And a- actually, the plans that you're seeing here, Basic, Advanced, and Premier, are designed for the writer-publisher who has already done that preliminary setup. Um, okay. So, yes, we, we've added on this setup service for those who have not actually started, you know, because sometimes we'd be on the phone talking to someone and they didn't, they didn't know what their catalog name was and they, they hadn't gotten the affiliations in place with CCLI or ASCAP or BMI or CSAC. So we kind of have that as a side service, but these plans are all designed for someone like yourself who's really done those preliminary steps, but wants to make sure things are being registered on a regular basis. Um, and that any license requests you know, are processed in a timely fashion and that you're not missing out on any revenue, potential revenue. Fantastic. Why don't we talk about YouTube? That is a, a very mysterious thing that a lot of people are wondering about these days. Um, yes, yes. And I know you have that on your website. You have a few things there. And I was in particular, in particular thinking of folks um, who might be doing covers of other people's songs. That's one scenario. Mm-hmm. Another one would be just their own music, putting it up there. Is there, um, what what do they what do they need to do um, for that? Or if they find someone else did their song, and how do they pursue that? Right. Well, um, one of the things that you know we have a an ongoing relationship with YouTube. We have an agreement in place with them, whereby we act as what would be called an indie publisher aggregator, and so. Uh, Typically, an independent publisher would have a very difficult time getting into the pipeline to um, say, yes, YouTube, I want to license my songs to you uh, for the synchronization rights. And so we, we act on behalf of our indie um, publishers to license and register and index their songs with YouTube. Now, what that allows is... Um, YouTube has worked pretty diligently over the last three, four years with the major publishing labels and, and the, the uh, major publishing companies and record labels to try to get synchronization rights directly from them for songs and for sound recordings uh, so that if a song shows up uh, on, a, on a video on YouTube that they are authorized and licensed to be able to put advertising with that video which can then generate revenue that can be split and paid to the publisher and the record label. Right. Okay. They have they have a very um, robust and sophisticated content ID system, which they I think they've probably been they probably started working on it five years ago, and it's uh, you know as you can imagine with anything Google or YouTube, it's it's very thorough, very extensive very granular, and and they have a method of melody mapping to be able to identify when a song comes up on a video, and if there isn't licensing in place, to be able to take it down. That's amazing. Um, And one one of the challenges, of course, is that you may have the catalogs of all the major publishers and the songs, but if there's a song that that major publisher only owns 75% of or 80% of, and there's a small independent writer 
who owns the other 20%, then of course they can't license it. So um, we're, we've, we've been working with them to get our indie publishers represented there and get those songs uploaded into their system and, and you know generate potentially generate ad revenue. Uh, now, not everything is going to generate ad revenue, and you know the number of views of a video makes a huge difference as to whether you get anything or they put ads up there or not, or you know you might get twelve cents or you know versus something that's had had a million views and there's uh, advertisers want to pay more for that space, so of course the ad revenue is higher and um so it's a fairly complicated eco system, economic ecosystem within YouTube, but potentially, of course, everybody's viewing that as, as a potentially a, a high revenue stream. Um, but it all depends on you know, whether or not all the pieces are licensed, because if there's one piece that isn't licensed, then they can't put ads up there and they can't license it. Um, yeah, and, and it's, you know, it's not going to be uh, if, if you are recording a cover song and you have it up there, uh, or, or a song that's not yours, and you're, you've got a, a cover on your project and you put it up there, if in fact that cover song is not licensed um, in their system, then they may take it down, or they may give you a takedown notice. You know, to find out if, because if you haven't gotten the proper sync licensing for your video, then that would be an issue. Which, of course, that really should be an issue anyway, is that if, if an artist is making a video um, and, and includes a cover song that they do not own, then they need to get a sync license to make that video, uh, to make that video legally before they ever put it up on YouTube. If, you know, if they're gonna, and plus, they may have it on their site. They may want to use it in a number of different places. And that would be called a synchronization license would be required. And that, that's something that our company can procure or get on behalf of our clients typically is, is the sync licenses that go with the uh, videos. Right. And so you'd get that and then you would actually, CCS then takes that song and submits it to YouTube so that they have it in their system. Well, if it's, if, if it's a third-party cover song, we wouldn't submit it. But if, it, if it's a song written by one of our indie Publishers and writers, then yes, we would we could load it into the content management system. But you're not going to find out. It. But you're not going to find out if it's a third party cover song and it's not listed. That there's nothing yeah, you can really would, do much about would, that. Right. Well, other than getting a sync license for it, but we wouldn't be loading that into the YouTube system. That right. would have to be done by the owner of that song. I see. I see. Great. Yeah. Well, now as far as getting licenses to do other people's music, I know. Of a lot of the artists that listen to this podcast, there are some who who don't write songs and they want to do covers. They may have a great voice and want to just put out a, an album full of covers. What what should they do to get yeah. those licenses? Right. Well, our Permissions Plus service we do a, we do a number of projects for artists, um, you know, that have cover songs, and we will go and get the mechanical licenses to be able to, you know, so you can legally make your CD recording as well as for digital download. So if you want to make those available on your website, um, it's the same type of license. It's called a DPD license, but it's for the rights to mechanically record someone else's song to your audio recording. And those are very straightforward and very simple for us to get. Um, it's just that we know where to go to get them. You know, we know the copyright owner 
Um, and that includes I that includes iTunes and all the digital stores and things like that. Well, it would be licensing that would allow you to put it on digital. Yes, uh, we don't we don't get it. We don't take that next step and get it distributed on iTunes. Oh, yeah, I know or, that. Yeah, but but the licenses for digital distribution. Yeah. So digital mm-hmm. distribution is one flat kind of broad license that covers every digital thing out there. Well, it covers digital. It covers uh, the right to make a digital file and for digital distribution wherever that might be. Correct. Okay. Okay, cool. I'm sorry if I'm not quite getting it. I I think I have it now. No, no. (laughs) Yeah, those are all very, very good questions. And, um, you know, it gets... You can get pretty complicated with it, for sure. Yeah, and that's exactly why you guys exist. And I think there are just a lot of folks who are confused and um, not sure what to do, and they end up just not doing anything. <laughs> so Yeah, throwing their hands up in the air. And, yeah. I mean, I think that's really true. I think from for me, particularly from day one of my getting into this business, um, I realized that uh, I, know, I know how confusing it was to me at first. And I think that that's definitely one of the challenges is it's confusing and overwhelming and it seems like a very daunting task mm. and so that's really why we're here yeah to you know either handle and process it for you or explain as much as we can the basics of where you need to start what you should do where the, where there's some really good solutions um and um that you know it, it it's not overwhelming if you start at the beginning and you get the basics down, and you have some help along the way. Yeah. Um, so that's that. You're right. That's exactly why we exist. And I'm sure it's just going to be more important than ever for folks to 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 find out about your services because I, you know, I think artists more than ever need to learn entrepreneurship and kind of starting things on their own rather than waiting mm-hmm. on all the big gatekeepers to come along and and open up their big door for them. You know. Um, mm-hmm. The times have changed so much in the music business, as you, as you, as I'm sure you know, and and uh, so I'm, I can see CCS really becoming more and more valuable as time goes on. Really, but well, we we hope so. I mean, we've seen this this um, trend of you know, for um, in recent years, the only sector in the music industry growing was really independent music, and just because of the technology and tools available to people, it's certainly much more accessible and possible to um, do it yourself. I mean, you know, really be in business. And yet it is important if you're going to do that to understand that it is a business and and uh, how to be a good steward of that. So um, our desire is really to come alongside and provide uh, provide the artists with the tools and with the assistance they need so they can really be focused on what they do well, and that's be creative and allow us to take care of the details for them. So that that's really uh, what indie, you know, indie admin especially is all about. Mm, that's great. Well, yeah, as, as you've already been saying, you, you've been sharing so much um, for so, so much valuable stuff for, for the artists who are listening to this. But what would you say as we wrap it up here? just to encourage those folks who are getting started, uh, maybe where, where you see things going um, as someone who really knows her stuff about all this, how would you encourage folks um, in the future? I think one of the big things is to 
really be clear in your calling and your vocation and the vision that God has given you. Um, and if you call, you know, if you really feel called to be an independent songwriter or artist or or worship writer or worship artist, that you pursue that and that you remain really clear in your calling. And I think something else that I'd highly recommend is to surround yourself with believers whose talents and abilities complement yours. And and I guess what I mean by that, and I, I recently actually wrote an article um, on vision and uh, on, on being you know, an entrepreneur, but I think these principles apply. And, and I think there's a winning formula is that when you are surrounded by and you have a team who have faith in your ideas and your vision and who also have skills and abilities you don't have, that that's a formula for success. That's awesome. So I, I think that's really important. And yeah. I think it's pretty hard to, to um, when you're creative to pursue that with your whole heart and your passion without having the kind of support that you need to do that. Yeah, that's right. I, I say this many times in our, in our podcast episodes in the past, just the importance of the local church and for folks to be plugged into community mm-hmm. and, and, um, and surrounding themselves with individuals. Just like you're saying, you know, there's that proverb that he who walks with the wise will be wise, you know? And mm-hmm. so that resonates with me big time. I, I love that. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Well, Susan, thanks so much uh, for being on the podcast. I know there are so many more things that we could talk about. Um, There's a lot of valuable stuff that you have to offer artists, especially independent artists who are getting started. Why don't you direct people again where where they can find you online and and, uh, continue to look into what you're you're offering? Yes, thanks, Nate. Um, Our website is Christian Copyright Solutions. And we have a wealth of information there that is free that you can download under our learning center, including a number of fact sheets, uh, as well as the publisher set up um, basic steps that I mentioned earlier. And we have an 800 number there. We have a live chat. And so we have different folks um, on our staff who are happy to talk to you and answer any questions you may have. And, and hopefully that will help get you started. Fantastic. Now, are you on Twitter or or Facebook or anything like that? Yes, we sure are. We have uh, Christian Copyright Solutions on Facebook, and our Twitter um, is at Doing Music Right. Cool. It's our Twitter account. Um, I also have a personal Twitter account called The Copyright Queen. Awesome. And (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's a moniker that was, you know, somebody started calling me that years ago and it's kind of stuck so well it it seems to be true very much (laughs) (laughs) yeah i will i will include um links today in the show notes for that so for those of you who want to find out you can go um click on those and again susan thanks for being on the podcast today thank you nate i really enjoyed it and appreciate your ministry thank you you have a great day you too bye-bye For some extra links on this whole subject of getting compliant as a songwriter and or artist, um, head over to christianmusicblog.com forward slash session 25, and uh, you'll also see 
the show notes for this episode and how to get more involved with CCS. Uh, there are a couple of links there at the site that I want to just highlight for you here um, in the podcast now. Um, uh, registering copyright, I'm, I'm actually looking at it right now. Register your copyrights at christiancopyrightsolutions.com forward slash register. I'll have this link in the show notes as well, but um, this looks really, really helpful for those of you who have not yet uh, technically registered your songs with CCLI, um, copyrighted your stuff, setting it up with ASCAP and all of that. Um, you can see an easy way to get going there. You can see the number of copyrights. Um, there's a really easy way to go through the, the, the pricing stuff and, and signing up for all of that. That's that's super helpful. Just checking that out right now. Really excited about that for those of you who are not yet um, ready for that. This is going to set you up. If you if you go through these process, uh, if you go through these steps, it's going to make you feel a lot better too. You'll you'll be ready to go. So also, the fact sheet page that's really helpful. Um, ChristianCopyrightSolutions.com forward slash facts sheet fact sheets. <laughs> Got to say that right. Fact sheets. A lot of fact sheets in there. Some that wouldn't be appropriate for you as an artist. Um, if you're a part of a church, um, there are a whole other. Um, wide range of things, services available for you if, if you're a part of a church and you're a worship pastor, maybe you're at a small church and you and you need some licenses for some other things related to uh, what you're doing on the weekends and your church services. So you can see some of that there. But as an artist and a writer, um, Copyrights 101, that's a, that's a great PDF document. Um, the difference between CCS and CCLI, again, she kind of went over that, but this one's a little bit more in detail. Top five myths of performing rights. That looks super interesting. Basic steps to publishing. Um, those are some of the ones that would be really great for songwriters and artists to check out. Um, and that's at their fact sheets page under the Learning Center. If you head over to their site, you'll see that. Um, and again, I'll, I'll put the link in our show notes today. That is christianmusicblog.com forward slash session 25. Oh, and they have an 800 number. Yeah, she said that. 855-5-SOLVER. I'll put that number in there too, but you can go see that at their site. Awesome. I know it's a it was a very detailed, um, a lot of stuff packed in there, and so that's why I try to provide for you these show notes, um, and you can go back and, and check that out. So if you're driving in the car and you've been listening to this for a while, or maybe you've been working out, um, just make sure you head back to christianmusicblog.com, click on our podcast link, and you'll see the show notes there as well. So... That's it for session 25. Really glad that you uh, joined me today. If you've listened all the way up to this point, that's awesome. I want to give you a gift for checking us out, for giving us your time. Head over to freemusicgift.com. Freemusicgift.com is where you can find a couple of gifts and a chance to sign up for our weekly newsletter. And once you sign up for that, you'll be on an exclusive mailing list. Um, it's more than just a, an email list. It is a newsletter where I'm seeking to engage you to get to know you and and serve you as a person of faith who makes music. So to find out more about that, simply sign up, freemusicgift.com. All right, next week on the CMB Podcast, session 26, very excited to share with you my conversation with Derek Webb. He's got his new album coming out very soon here called I Was Wrong, I'm Sorry, and I Love You. Actually, it's an awesome album. I've been hearing some of it um, if you've been following his stuff, it's um, it's exciting. So that's an inspiring conversation next week on the CME Podcast. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the CMB Podcast. 
For more valuable content, including helpful articles and video, visit christianmusicblog.com.